0: Relevant content for our members, by our members. This is TMC Connect.
1: All right. Well, we are at the top of the hour, depending on where you're at. If you're on the East Coast, it's 3 o'clock Eastern. If you're on the West Coast, it's just hitting noon. I want to welcome everybody to today's TMC Connect discussion uh, entitled Buyer or Seller, Best Practices and Missed Opportunities When Approaching a Merger and Acquisition Opportunity. So for today's discussion, uh, we've got a pandem of TMC preferred partners, one relatively new to the network, one of our longest standing partners as well, leading the charge here. Um, really to kind of cover not only the consulting components, but also some of the legal components when it comes to considerations or opportunities, whether our list of whether you are a buyer or seller related to a merger and acquisition opportunity. Um, So before we jump in here today, just want to remind our attendees today's discussion is being recorded. So if you had any of your counterparts that maybe registered and weren't able to join today, Just now, we will follow up with this discussion with links to recording from today's discussion via our YouTube channel, uh, as well as through TMC Connect's podcast channel, too. And just a reminder for the attendees, all lines have been muted for today's discussion, but we always encourage interactivity. So any questions or comments that you may have throughout today's discussion, please feel free to filter those through the chat. Uh, Knowing this can be a sensitive topic, if you would prefer to remain anonymous with any questions you may have, I would highly recommend using the Q&A function at the bottom of your Zoom screen. And therefore you can ask any question that comes to mind and remain anonymous here. And we will then go ahead and uh, verbalize those questions with our esteemed panelists towards the tail end of today's discussion. Uh, So as we get started here, as I mentioned, I have a pair of TMC preferred partners helping us conduct today's conversation. Uh, First off. One of our newest partners within the network, really driven just by feedback and honestly, a lot of the market conditions was bringing in uh, both David Schneider and Steve Stein, who are managing partners with Silver Strike Advisors, uh, TMC's partner who helps lenders, whether they're on the acquiring or being acquired side of potential merger and acquisition activity. Um, Additionally, we have one of our longest-standing partners within the network when it comes to those legal considerations that could go into an M&A transaction, uh, Johnston Thomas, Attorneys at Law. So want to introduce uh, David uh, David Steiner and Steve Stein, both with Silver Strike Advisors. David, Steve, how are you guys doing today?
2: Great, great. Great. Thanks for having us. Appreciate the opportunity to chat with everybody.
1: Well, we certainly appreciate you both joining and then uh, additionally, from Johnston Thomas, attorneys at law, we have uh, Ashley Jump, as well as the Mortgage Banking Practice Chairman, James Brody. Hey, Ashley and James.
3: Hey, thank you very much. Happy to be here.
1: Excellent. Well, um, before we kick off, just a brief overview of the agenda for today's discussion. Uh, want to talk and spend some time around just... Uh, our panelists' observations over the current MA environment, and then providing some insights and overview on the multitude of deal structures that are out there and can be considered, um, and then doing a deeper dive into some of the deal flow process, some that you may be more familiar with, and some that's a bit more nuanced. Uh, so just a quick highlight of the agenda we'll look to dive into. Um, but before we jump in, to the uh, deck, we did have a couple questions that were filtered through the collaborative audience uh, in the lead up to this discussion, kind of around the topic. Uh, so I will open up responses to the group here, but had a pair of those questions I wanted to verbalize that I think are also going to help uh, flow directly into some of the key talking points, kind of particularly around the current MA environment. And uh, it's a common question, that we hear here at the collaborative, but uh, just verbalizing the one that came in uh, from a lender of ours. And that's, if I'm interested in being acquired or selling, you know, potentially just a a portion of my branch footprint, as of today, is there still a market uh, to potentially get fair value or sufficient value to justify delving into a merger and acquisition opportunity?
2: you know maybe i'll uh maybe i'll take a quick shot at that and i think it ties right into the the first slide on the m a environment i you know i think the answer is yes and the way to think about it is you know if you're a if you're a potential seller what's the match you have to potential buyers and what are you bringing to the table that enhances the value the way way to think about any deal structure or any deal that is successful for both the buyer and the seller it's one that really it's you're you're adding yes as a seller you're bringing additional capability that might be geography uh that might be new products that might be uh, a specialty in in in, um in different areas so i think if you can bring value to the buyer um that you know really adds to the overall uh, enterprise I i think there's a lot of deals that can still work and still make a lot of sense uh, and especially in, and this is really the last bullet on the slide the, the way to think about this is you know we're we're all in a really difficult market right now and one where you know we're we're seeing it change dramatically if you go back to 2020 2021 it was clearly a sellers market and now we're you know we're more in a buyers market quite honestly but what we all have to remember is that the mortgage market is still strong. It's still a big market. It doesn't seem as big when we're coming off a four plus trillion dollar market, but it's still a big market. And while it seems you know very, very difficult, I think the long-term prospects are really good for everybody, for all lenders out there. And I think those that have that long-term vision view this uh downturn as an opportunity to expand, to grow, to take market share and come out of this even stronger will really benefit. Um, from do, from looking at uh, acquisition opportunities. So I think the answer is yes. Um, and, you know, it's probably, a, you know, there's probably more specifics that are really necessary in order to have that match work, but lots of deals can still be done.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a great point, David, too. And we see it just in the collaborative membership as well. I think lenders that, uh, you know, put back some capital from the, two strongest years our industry had back-to-back from an origination standpoint, Um, see the forest through the trees and are looking strategically at where it makes sense to deploy capital, you know, over the extended period of this current downturn cycle to your exact point to become stronger really on the other end. Um, And, and, uh, you know, we looked at a 2.2 trillion dollar mortgage market uh, at the onset of, of 2020. There'd be a lot more optimism around that yeah. figure than uh, in hindsight after back to back four plus trillion years. So yeah. it's all
2: about perspective. It, it it is all a matter of perspective, and you know it, it's the the mortgage market. We all know it, and you know things are probably never as good as we think they are, or nor never as bad as we think they are. And I think that perspective is important. Uh, Great
1: point there. And I'll address just the the one other uh, lead-in question and then allow uh, guys to kind of take it here from uh, the deck standpoint. And this question was, as a company going through the process of incorporating an acquired lender into our business structure, do you have any tips on effective integration of staffing uh, to maximize my now larger operations efficiencies?
2: Yeah, I, I think um, I think on integration, there's, there's a few things that I would really focus in on. One is uh, making sure you're communicating with both sides, both parties, and making sure that you have a clear vision for how you'll operate the company post-acquisition. Um, and, and that's really important because if you don't sell that story, if you don't tell that story of how the company will operate, everybody else will tell it for you. And they're all going to get it wrong and those wrong those people getting it wrong are the recruiters and everybody else so having a clear story and a clear vision for what the new company looks like and why it's really good for everybody to come together and what the benefits are i think the the one thing to think about is especially for the sales teams is to think about what's in it for them why is it good for the loan officer that they're coming together is it products is it pricing is it sales support is it access to you know, leads, whatever that is, but being really clear about that and, and repeating it over and over and over again. Um, and and I've, I, I say it all the time, but you can't communicate enough when you do deals like this and, and really spending the time to have a really clear communication strategy is critical.
3: And, and we talked about this when uh, we had our session out there in uh, Chicago. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, it, it is critical because people aren't buying desks, chairs, computers. I mean, they're going ahead and, and looking for that human capital, that that relationship. And, you know, there's it's always a delicate balance. I would say it's more of an art than a science. And when you go ahead and disclose, because... You know on the one hand, we're in this type of market where people are scared uh, they're they're nervous about what's going on they, they want to make sure they can feed their you know put food on the table uh, and if they think uh, that uh, you know there's going to be a big round of firings or they're going to not uh, be stable or it's not going to be the type of place they want to work um you know that's something that really needs to be addressed at a point in time when uh, you know you can get them on board um so, and, and when that time happens, it is really a matter of, you know, uh, really feeling out the situation, having the open lines of communication and, uh, you know, having a good messaging plan, uh, because that's what's going to be critical.
1: Yeah, it's such a great point, James. I, I think I heard it. The, the line I thought was said so well the other day is that rumors move a lot faster than, <laughs> uh, than facts do out there. So to your point to have that communication plan in place can offset uh some of the game of internal telephone that takes place when you know staff thinks something's afoot and they're not hearing it direct from leadership so appreciate that um we're gonna go ahead and dive into some of the content from this slide i'll let steve and david kind of take it from here but just a reminder to the audience any questions or comments that you have throughout today's discussion again Please feel free to populate those in the Q&A function on the bottom menu of your Zoom screen, and uh, that'll allow you to stay anonymous there, and we'll go ahead and uh, dive into
2: those questions towards the tail end of the discussion. Yeah, thanks, Tom. I think, actually, the best place to go is if we could just pop, move to the next slide, um, and, and Steve will kind of cover you know some key considerations we kind of started dunk, um, jumping into this, but I think know, walking through the considerations that both buyers and sellers ought to have when they're contemplating any type of acquisition or merger, uh, whatever the case might be. So, Steve, you want to share some of those?
4: Yeah. So, you know, the the three buckets on the page here, model fit, cultural fit, and leadership fit, um, I think are really critical and really unique from each other. Uh, Obviously, model fit, um, distribution channels, knowledge of channels that you may not operate with as a buyer right so a wholesale some any kind of tpo business any kind of uh you know fairly deep institutional requirements around managing joint ventures etc there's there's a lot of challenges with that so you just got to make sure you're equipped and aware the the beauty of those opportunities is really it gives you a chance to jump into a piece of the business that would otherwise take a very long time uh, to establish itself so you're know, looking for the for those model opportunities is critical because you can grow quickly uh you can also get yourself into some trouble if you're not, not familiar with you know th- that space so it's a real consideration you can get a lot of help around that as you evaluate opportunities as a seller you know you really need to look at your strengths um and and when you're you know, deciding to sell a company, it, it, it really is a sales exercise. You have to think about your strengths. You have to think about how to communicate those strengths. I've kind of carved out like four areas that I, that I talk about. Uh, the geo market strength is really critical. Um, if you dominate a certain geo, you're going to make yourself very attractive to the right kind of buyer, right? To find the right buyer that's looking for, you know, growth in the Northeast, because they don't have any exposure there. Or looking to dilute some of their exposure, they may have in other uh, market concentrations that may be risky to them. Uh, so thinking about geo strength is really critical. Uh, secondly, product strength. Um, very important. And if you if you excel at certain kinds of products,
0: uh,
4: it's gonna make you attractive to a buyer who may not, you know, have that same expertise. Um, obviously. Government loans, uh, non-QM, whatever you know, high-margin products that uh, that you can be success that you've been successful with will be very helpful. Um, the third thing I'd talk about is unique and loyal production uh, sources, uh, builders, strong MSA relationships, unions, trade associations. Those things are all very powerful. They're all revolve around sales strategies, and if you've been successful at creating those. Uh, those should be very portable. And as a buyer, a buyer is going to be interested in, especially in this market, you know, is there is there really something tangible there in terms of loyalty and, and from from the sourcing perspective? Uh, so, you know, packaging that story um, is really critical uh, for both the buyer and the seller. Both the buyer and the seller want to see the value in the transaction. Obviously, sellers always want to get their value recognized, but. Buyers want to understand what the story is so that they can get more comfortable with a valuation that would would account for some of those opportunities that that are unique to them. Um, And then the last piece that I I focus on is, you know, how do you excel in execution? So if it's product development, if it's your marketing team, uh, servicing performance, uh, if you have a very strong, loyal sales and operations team, you can demonstrate their tenure and their longevity with the firm, their, you know, their, their average output, you know, bringing those things to the table, uh, in a deck that you're, when you're talking to buyers, uh, is really critical, being able to flush those things out and be able to articulate very well, what your strengths are really, really critical to the deal. Um, and then around cultural fit, uh, obviously, you know, every company is different. Um, every company has a different personality, every company, a lot of times that's, that's, that's really driven, you know, obviously, hopefully by the leadership, right? So understanding what your, what your cultural, you know, cornerstones are, and how they match up with the company that you're interested in partnering with, whether you are the buyer or the seller, uh, is is very, very critical. You know, you obviously, you see companies that are focused on, High-performing LOs, hundred million dollar plus origination production. Um, they really, they the the LO is the superstar, and the company is really built around them. You have other companies that really focus on their brand and really taking a certain kind of a consumer experience to the marketplace. You know, those those two profiles are a little bit different. So, making sure that you have uh, the, the right understanding of what you're. Your partner is going to look like and how you're going to feel and look with them when you're when you're working together uh is really critical and then obviously you know how you manage talent um how you demonstrate your management practices you know how how buttoned up are you versus how buttoned up is the uh is the buyer uh or the seller if they're on the other side um it's really critical to have a, a good understanding of how people manage and, and measure success and make sure they're on the same page. And that you know, that's really gotta be fleshed out in the due diligence uh, piece of the deal because you know obviously it's it's far too late once you once you've signed and, and close the deal. And then lastly, you know, leadership fit and clarity around roles, organizational structure, objectives. Um you know, that is always, you know, at the end of the day, that's the buyer's that's the buyer's call once once the those decisions have been made. Um one thing that I would urge. Uh, anybody in this market but particularly in buyers is you know when you when you when you successfully close a deal and you're going through the integration process really understand your motives for who does what and why you know and you're really balancing loyalty and competency right so you know acquiring a company is a great opportunity to in, to improve your FPA uh, inside the finance organization or improve your sales management, you know, to take it to more of a science and less of a less of an art, if that's what you're all about. So, understanding what you want to get out of a transaction and who can deliver them those things for you is really critical. And it, that's why, in addition to you know, really wanting to communicate a very positive message at the close that um, you're going to try to you know make a home for everybody, it's really time for you as a leader to say who's really going to serve this business the best. And what's the, the what's the most practical and graceful way for that to happen? Um, and again, some some um, you know, advice and support around that that process is always useful. And those are the kinds of things that we do when we talk to when we talk to buyers and sellers. Okay, who's up with deal structure? I don't remember. I think uh, James, no. you want to hit kind of deal structure.
3: Yeah, so, so I'm going to have uh, Ashley. Ashley's going to go through and talk briefly about the different types of deal structures and their pros and their cons. Um, and then I'll go ahead and uh, be talking about the letters of intent, uh, as well as the due diligence process so we can kind of round this out. Um, so Ashley, with that, why don't you go ahead and uh, I'll turn it over to you to uh, go through the asset structures.
0: Absolutely. So um, completing an M&A transaction gives borrowers that are looking to achieve strategic goals an alternative to just organic growth. It gives sellers an opportunity to cash out as we see happening within the mortgage industry, or to at least share in the risk and reward of a newly formed business. There are three main avenues for acquiring or combining in a business. Um, Number one is a stock purchase or a membership unit purchase if it's a limited liability company. Number two is an asset purchase. Number three is a merger. Um, All three of these structures are different types of acquisitions that fall into the domain of M&A and hold their own set of benefits and risks. When a company considers acquiring another company or being acquired, the structure of that and the avenue chosen can potentially have pretty significant differences in the results. So that's what we want to look at first. Um, In stock purchases, the buyer purchases the stock of a target company directly from that target company or individual shareholders. The company remains an existing ongoing company, and the company's business activities, assets, and liabilities continue unaffected by the transactions. Um, In an asset purchase, the buyer purchases specific assets of the target that are listed within the transactional documents that... Um, I believe James and David will talk about later. Um, The assets and liabilities are acquired in exchange for consideration, which can be cash, equity, a combination. Um, If the asset purchase is for all of the target's assets, after the purchase, the target company will dissolve and go through a wind down process and distribute its remaining assets to equity holders, um, basically dissolving. The term merger, however, has legal significance for its usage. A merger is the process that's governed by state corporate law in which two or in some cases more um, separate legal entities become one surviving entity. The surviving entity may just be one of the original entities where the other parties are absorbed um, and that process is called a forward merger or the surviving entity could be an entirely new entity. In both situations, generally, all of the assets and liabilities of each are owned by the surviving legal entity as a matter of state law. The consideration for a merger can be, again, cash, equity, or some combination of both. So we're going to talk about the pro forma financials as an example before um, we go too much into the pros and cons there of each one. Because as I mentioned, they both do have significant outcomes.
2: Yeah, so let me, I'll, I'll jump in on the financials. And I think um, the, the important part on, you know, what Ashley was going through is that there are different alternatives for how you achieve the objective of, of bringing together two or two different companies. Uh, you know, in, in this environment, you know, one of the clearest rationales for doing any transaction is, are you going to improve the financial performance? Like it, it's, it's, no good to do this if you're not going to improve the financial performance of actually both entities. Um, here is just a view of like if you're look, if you're a proposed, if you're a potential seller and you have a, a traditional retail operation, and right now you're at break-even. So your net income is is zero. You have, you know, net in you know, total income of 375 basis points, cost of 375. Well, what can you expect and what should be the expectation for uh, partnering up with, with someone? And and I think clearly, you know, there's probably 30 to 60 basis points of synergies available uh, from potential transactions. And this will vary by company by company. So I, would, I wouldn't want to say you're definitely going to see 15 basis points gain in sale and only five basis points reduction in cost. But the important thing to do as both buyers and sellers is to look clearly at the projected pro forma, uh, you know, especially in this environment, what's happened in the past is really not very relevant. You have to look on a prospective basis and build a pro forma out and say, what does my company look like on a standalone basis? And then if we were to come together, what synergies would we expect? And I think the areas that you would commonly see synergies would be, your capital markets execution of just you know bringing together getting better execution maybe getting spec pay up pools maybe have you have some investors that uh the the selling company doesn't have where you know you get a specific pickup so you can get some executions there and some pickup there uh sales cost production costs i don't think there's big pickups there but certainly just you know leveraging sales management leveraging your marketing expenses Think about those things, those costs that are there, whether you do a billion dollars a year or do $500 million a year. And we all have those costs embedded in, in our operations. Uh, and then probably the biggest opportunity is the back office costs. I mean, quite honestly, bringing together these organizations, you can streamline your more fixed costs and you know, have you know combined marketing departments or finance departments or legal departments or all of those back office functions. Um, And if you think about it, you know, most of those functions at each one of your respective operations, we're doing a multiple of the volume you're doing now. So, you know, they can handle it. You know, they can take on that responsibility. And quite honestly, just bringing together two organizations, you know, leverages those fixed costs and really creates a scenario where it's, you know, one plus one equals something far greater than two. Um, In addition, it's not on here, but importantly, you ought to think about, what are the uh, synergies you can get as the potential buyer? So just bringing in more production, leveraging your fixed cost base, there are other synergies that you can get as a buyer. So you know there are two sides of the equation. I think the bigger ones are clearly on the seller side, but there should also be synergies on the buyer side. And that's what really creates the compelling value proposition for both parties. Of, you know, why you wanna do something like this and what's the potential benefit and what can you expect to receive as a result of that? Um, I think, uh, Ashley, I'll I'll hand it back to you to kind of go through some of the pros and cons of each because I think those pros and cons are really important in terms of the potential synergies that you can see in terms of, uh, of, of deal structure too.
0: Yep, absolutely. And determining and looking at the pros and cons for each avenue and determining which one you want to pursue could help guide your strategy at the very beginning. When you're working with companies like Silver Strike, determine your target and how you want to go about that. Um, So a buyer may prefer a stock purchase when the buyer wishes the operation of the target company to continue as is after the purchase. The buyer basically just wants to be part of what's already there. Um, One thing that makes a stock purchase particularly attractive is that only certain circumstances would require third-party transaction approval. Absent of those unusuals, Circumstances, consents, and third parties would not necessarily be needed to approve the transaction. So there wouldn't be a whole lot of lag time. Um, But obtaining that stock may be problematic. Buyers may get less preferential tax treatment than other options, but as we're not tax experts, all we're gonna say is that you should talk to your accounting partner about that, um, if that's something that interests you. But also depending on the shareholder or operating agreements that are already in place, it may be difficult to get approval for the purchase from all of the necessary owners. A holdout owner could just refuse to sell. And purchases of larger percentages where you would have a say and have some sort of effect um, would be one of the unusual circumstances that could require regulatory approval. And since stock purchases buying into the company as is, there's also the risk that the liabilities of the company may not be fully known to you when you do that. Um, A stock purchase tends to generally work best when the buyer doesn't want to obtain control and there are fewer shareholders. Negotiations are more straightforward that way when there are fewer parties involved and it'll be less likely that there would be a holdout owner that you would have to deal with. Um, Most of us in the industry are already pretty familiar with stock purchases or have at least heard of them by virtue of the industry. So since we're on very limited time here today, um, I won't spend too much more time talking about that one but just to mention that it is an avenue that you should consider and talk to your planning partners about. Um, The next one that keeps getting brought up very frequently, especially now in the industry is the asset purchase. Buyers may prefer an asset purchase because they can avoid buying unneeded or unwanted assets and liabilities. Um, The ability to pick and choose specific assets and liabilities provides the buyer with flexibility for how much they wanna spend and what they wanna get. The um, buyer does not waste money on unwanted assets such as deaths, um, and there's less risk of the buyer assuming unknown or undisclosed liabilities that way. However, this is also what makes at- asset purchases more complex because the buyer has to spend the time identifying the assets and the liabilities it wishes to acquire and assume. And even this is subject to any liabilities imposed as a matter of law. It's fundamentally different from a stock acquisition or merger where the buyer acquires all of the assets and liabilities. Um, various aspects of an asset purchase sorry, can be time-consuming and therefore you have resources that are being expended and it's pretty intensive, um, like specific assets value. Uh, Third-party consent may be required for some of those assets such as the contracts and determining and completing the manner in which the title of an asset is even passed on will vary depending on the asset and state. Um, There's also the little thought of risk that the seller could retain sufficient assets to compete against you and would know the intricacies of what you just purchased. So another pro for the assets purchase is that it's generally in most states, with a few exceptions, only approval of the majority of shareholders or members are required to complete that purchase. So it also works best when the buyers are interested in only select assets of a target company and only select Liabilities, Uh, an example of this might be intellectual property, um, such as a proprietary LOS that tends to come up. Um, One thing to be concerned about is the contingent liabilities that may be acquired with assets such as that. So the flip side is that the seller in an asset purchase transaction must be careful to ensure it receives the consideration to cover any future liabilities that it weren't contemplated at the time of the purchase. Um, the next one that I think the most straightforward is the company merger option. Um, again, the term merger has legal significance for usage. So, that is something to keep in mind that there are more steps involved that have to be covered and that certain paperwork that has to be done and documents, as I'm sure we're all familiar with by now. Um, but, as an other requirement and its charter documents, typically mergers only require approval by the board of directors and a majority of its shareholders, but generally merger, uh, mergers require third-party consent as the target company ceases to exist after the merger and all of its assets are owned by the surviving entity. Um, for our industry, that could include investors, warehouse banks, um, agencies that the company has approval from, licensing, licensing agencies would need to have advanced notice, but depending on the type of change, may not actually have to have any other requirements to proceed. Um, And that could, again, depend on the state and where you're actually operating at. A big one that most people consider and is a big push for this is the employees could be absorbed efficiently. There is no need to put out another offer um, because they're just absorbed into the new company as a current employee. Um, The lower threshold is particularly appealing when a target company has multiple shareholders or the target company's. Reputation and goodwill are aspects that a company wishes to acquire. Um, Those are pretty big driving forces there. How a merger is taxed depends on its structure. Generally, forward and triangle mergers are taxed as asset purchases. So, again, that's something you should talk about with your accounting partner, though. Ultimately, deciding whether an asset purchase or a merger is the right fit for an acquisition will depend on the specific facts of the situation and the strategies that you work out with your other partners.
2: Thank you, Ashley. Uh, I think that was a great summary and and there there are certainly a lot of options And thinking through uh, the the one that's the best fit for for both buyer and seller is really important um, to make sure that the objectives you hope to achieve are the objectives you actually realize. Um, you know, we kind of went through and in, in the 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 thoughts for why a, why a deal might make sense from the buyers and sellers perspective. We talked about the different opportunities or the different ways that a deal could be structured. I uh, was thought now we, James and I would hit just what's the process look like? And this is a very high level. And I think it's our intent to have future uh, webinars like this where we go into more of the details. So, you know, that's just a, a preview of of events yet to come, but um, you know we'll, we'll get into more details. But I, you know, I just did want to go through the deal process. So first is, you know, valuation. Before you get to valuation, you're really doing the process of do you think there's a good fit and all those things that Steve talked about, like all those things that are really important to making sure that will these two companies work well together, where the leaders work well together, where the loan <clears throat> officers feel like there's great value, and if you if you cover all those hurdles and you say yeah it feels like it makes sense, it feels like we can create value, it feels like one plus one will equal four, then you get into the actual deal process. And step one of the deal process is is valuation. And really, the the simplest way to think about it is the way to look at it is, is through two lenses. One is, what's the value of future cash flow? So really, a net present value analysis of the targets, future cash flows, and what do you think those are worth? And, and what what are the variabilities that you should anticipate um, in, in 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 those cash flows? And we all know the mortgage market is really hard to predict. Uh, and I'd encourage everyone to look at it, but take a long view of it. you're not you're not going to be right in year two, but you, year three is going to be better than you expect. So you have to really look at it for you know a three to five to seven year time period and feel like the cash flows that you expect will be we realized it might not happen in exact sequence, exact format you anticipated, but you feel relatively confident about that. I'd also take a close look at the value of the equity uh, of the of what you're acquiring. And that's especially important if you're acquiring the whole company because you're really acquiring the equity. And do you feel good about the balance, the, the assets on the balance sheet? Do you feel the liabilities are properly recorded? Even if you're doing an asset sale, uh, an asset purchase, you got to look carefully at the at the assets you're buying. Look carefully at the liabilities you're taking on, and make sure that those are valued appropriately, and that you've done a really thoughtful process to come up with a number that makes sense for both parties. Um, from there, we go to a letter of intent, which is really the what I think of as the business person's. You know, here's the deal, and it's you know short, fairly short document. It lays out the deal. Uh, in some terms, and then we get to uh, from there. We start into the due diligence process, and I'm going to hand it off to James. To James explains the more complicated stuff. So <laughs> we'll hand it over to James to handle
3: the due what, diligence. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and I'll try not to get too much into the technicalities here, especially since we're going to be doing a, a larger uh, program for this. Uh, but look, during the M and A transaction, you know, typically after the parties have spoken and come to a decision that they would like to proceed. The, you know the first step here is the process for the parties to enter into what's uh, termed a letter of intent or term sheet uh, obviously you're going to be looking at the valuation issues but the purpose of the letter of intent or LOI uh, is really to ensure that there's a meeting of the minds on key terms and uh, actions before significant resources uh, and legal fees uh, which can be significant have also been incurred so uh, in order to give the parties the best chance at closing a favorable deal to the both of them, it's important to, that that uh, they not skip over this process too quickly uh, and make sure that all of these key points are legally binding, uh, such as with no-shop provisions. I mean, we'll talk about binding versus non-binding um, and, you know, why uh, it should be binding and why it shouldn't be binding. Uh, but an L.O.I. can be in either a short or a long form. Um, and it really depends on the dynamics of the negotiations and the desires of the parties. Uh, whether are long or short, there's typically some back and forth on that first draft as the buyer and seller are going to try and include or exclude particular clauses Uh, In the draft, a more long form letter of intent uh, is, you know, exactly as it sounds, it's more comprehensive and legally constructed, uh, which really uh, enables the identity of the relevant issues that are important to each party, uh, identifies possibly some deal breakers that they could have uh, uh, on each side early on. Uh, helps to prevent spending significant legal fees and resources on deals that may not be likely to close. And, you know, look, we, we've done a number of these. And uh, I can tell you that, unfortunately, uh, along the way, uh, issues pop up. And uh, those could be deal killers. So if you can find a way to try to root out some of those issues that are, again, of importance to both parties early on, uh, you you know, it can help you from committing all the time and the resources just to find out down the road uh, that it wasn't a good fit. Um, You know, it can allow for possible resolution of significant issues uh, and look for alternatives uh, early on. Uh, because time is of the essence whenever you're doing these deals. Um, You you know, you're always looking to try to do it fast. Uh, You always want to do it thorough. So there's a push and pull between all the different components uh, to make sure that you're doing a very fulsome job uh, as as well as getting it over the finish line. Um, Now, if the issue is possibly insurmountable, you know, the early detection allows, again, for those alternatives to be planned for. And this might include issues Uh, Such as exclusivity or indemnification. And the primary disadvantage of this longer form LOI is that it may be down, it may bog down the momentum of getting a deal done. Uh, as the parties, you know, generally want to uh, uh, not want to deal with too many difficulties right up front, and they want to get kind of warmed up, get on a roll and, and get it moving. So it, it really comes down to who you're dealing with, what your interests are. Of course, my preference is uh, it's uh, better to, you know, address some of these issues early on so that uh, you can really make sure uh, that you're not going to waste a lot of time and money. But, uh, you know, the advantage of maybe doing a short-form LOI is that it's generally quicker, again, to negotiate and get the ball rolling, um, as well as it only addresses generally some smaller issues, price, perhaps a few key terms, uh, like uh, an escrow holdback uh, for sellers indemnification protection, length of escrow, uh, exclusivity, no shop. You know, one of the issues that really comes up, especially uh, uh, from a buyer, is that they want to know what when they're committing all this time and money and resources to negotiating a deal and getting it done, Uh, that the seller isn't out there shopping uh, uh, for another deal um, and you want some level of exclusivity. And you want to make sure that that is, uh, to me, binding, uh, having represented a lot of of buyers so that if there is a problem there, all that time and the money and expenses that you had to incur uh, are going to be recoverable. Um, Because again, that that would cause damage and uh, you're both uh, making some good faith efforts here uh, but, you know, uh, good faith backed up by legal uh, is, is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, now, if the, the disadvantage of that short form LOI is that it leaves many of those important issues, again, to be resolved at a later date. Now, when you're looking at what issues to include in the LOI, um, you know, things that we have uh, put in there that we've negotiated, that we've addressed, uh price and consideration transaction structure is it going to be an asset purchase or is it going to be a merger uh you know there was some prior discussion about the asset purchase merger merger being you know that that uh, I think the easiest in some ways because you know you you know you're taking on everything uh you are taking on those liabilities outright but what really happens in these deals is a lot of them, uh, people want to structure them as asset purchases. But as I mentioned at the outset, you're not buying chairs and desks. Uh, well, you are, but you know, what you're really after is uh, uh, that production and how it's going to help you uh, become a stronger company growth. Um, and the human capital, the people are, are very important there. And uh, when you are looking at, um, at an asset purchase, you know what you have to understand is that even though it is you can talk about it in terms of an asset purchase uh generally these overlap uh and you're always having to think about your uh, potential liability what could happen you're buying a company you're getting those assets but if someone comes along and says you know what that wasn't a true asset purchase that was a de facto merger it's effectively uh, you went ahead and are just a continuation there. Um, then you have to really know what you are buying. I mean, so there's ways to insulate yourself, but there's no, you know, a, a magic uh, wand that you can avoid any liability by saying it's one thing or another. It's really the devil in being in the details. Uh, you also want to look at an expected timeline. Um, a lot of people want to do 30 days, 60 days. Um, sometimes, depending upon the size, the complexity, you, you have to have a realistic time frame, and make sure though that your uh, team, uh, whether uh, Silver Strike or Johnson Toss or whoever you're using, has you know some uh, 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 metrics, uh, some uh, uh, points in time that you are getting through the items. And there's a lot to get done. Um, again, we talked about exclusivity. Uh, you want to talk about confidentiality. You want to make sure that all the parties are not going around talking about the deal before a deal is finalized. uh, Because as everyone knows, uh, uh, those loose lips can kill deals uh, very quickly. Um, You wanna make sure as say the buyer that you have access to the sellers, employees, books, records, uh, all of the information and the documentation that would be needed to do due diligence. Uh, You might want to look at indemnification obligations, uh, what type of dispute forums, um, you know, you would utilize if the deal falls apart. And, you know, no one likes to think about the deals falling apart except the attorneys. But, you know, thinking a few steps down the road can save you a lot of problems, give you a much better chance of a successful uh, acquisition, and, uh, you know, really make sure you have confidence uh, in moving forward. Um, then you want to talk about some of those closing conditions uh, or the termination conditions. If something happens, uh, what can you terminate this deal for? Or, you know, what is going to be required in order for the, the the closing to happen? So the letter of intent should, you know, clearly state which portions are going to be binding, which are not. Uh, the attorneys should be able to make sure that's binding by ensuring there's proper consideration in the contracts. There's clarity. Uh, because lack of clarity on a point might allow a court to enforce or refuse to enforce a provision uh, that's contrary to the intent of the parties. And you also need to understand uh, language in the contract versus your course of performance, because sometimes course of performance uh, can cause you uh, problems and affect the uh, binding uh, provisions of the contract. So once you have that letter of intent Done. You have it uh, uh, in place. Then you're off to the races. Uh, you are. It will be followed by a more formal asset purchase agreement uh, or other documentation. But the LOI is really where you get that ball rolling. And what you do, I mean, the biggest part of uh, any of these deals, you know, from our perspective, is really the the due diligence here. Um, you have to make sure that you understand what you are buying. It's generally, again, the most time-consuming and critical part of these transactions. It requires a detailed examination and an analysis of the target company from both internal and external sources. And it helps you to verify that target's value uh and the identifiable liabilities that you may be taking on. If, Uh, You were to find out that a target had some massive uh, uh, compliance problems, they were under a consent order, or they just got hit with a uh, lawsuit uh, asking them to buy back 30 loans. Um, How is that going to be dealt with? Um, Who's going to be liable for that? How is it going to affect uh, the the integration uh, of the companies? Um, you know, things that you do when they do diligence and these are just some of them, you know, performing multiple types of searches, UCCs, fixture filings, federal state tax liens, litigation at both state and federal level, judgment liens, bankruptcy, IP, um, ordering documents, uh, charter documents that include, you know, all documents on file, records of good standing, bring down letters with verbal status checks credit reports, Um, you have to look over the filings, such as formation, uh, shell holding companies, potential qualification of an entity in multiple jurisdictions after incorporated. What are you buying? Um, And this really comes down to a a lot of legwork of CPAs, uh, lawyers, uh, deal advisors. Um, You need to have dedicated people Uh, at, you know, the both the, uh, buyer and the seller who are going to make this task easy. Uh, because, you know, you don't, last thing you want to be doing is wasting time going to this person, that person. You need points of contact to really make sure these things are facilitated. Uh, and that you have some agreement on who's going to be doing what, who has access to what, um, who's bound by that uh, confidentiality. And again, that comes down to the letters of intent and the due diligence. Uh, And then from there, uh, I'll go ahead and turn it back uh, uh, to talk about the closing and the integration. But uh, there's a lot that goes on, and uh, I think that we'll be able to expand on this uh, in our future webinars in a way that is more that you can really see the skeleton and look at all the individual parts, how those fit in, how those affect what you want to do, whether buying or selling, and coming up with a good game plan so that you don't have any surprises along the way.
2: Yeah. And, and James, that was a great overview. And I think the last point of you don't want surprises, like all of this is really designed so that there's a meeting of the minds, both parties understand the deal, both parties understand exactly what uh, they're buying buying, and, and why the deal makes sense. Uh, and if you do all that well, and you do the communication process well, by the time you get to closing, that should be the easy part. That should just be exchanging paperwork and, you know, funding the deal because, you know, once you once you even get to closing and once you set a closing date, you, you're going to want to do a lot of work pre-closing to make sure that once you get to the closing date, you have all of the preparation in place that you know exactly reporting structures, that you know how you're going to manage the sales force, that you know how you're going to Uh, take advantage of any integration opportunities that you identified, that you know how you'll achieve the financial performer that you put forward. Um, So really all of the work needs to be done up front and spending the time uh, on those important things of letter of intent and due diligence that James went through is really important. And I would encourage everyone don't shortchange that process. Don't shortchange that process because it pays dividends in the end with having a successful deal and making sure that once you get to that starting point of day 1 that you're really off and running and then once you get to that starting point the integration process becomes much easier and you know really being sure about the communication process and and you know James talked about it earlier but you know the rumors are faster than anyone's communication process so have a communication process that's be clear and repeated over and over again about why this is a good marriage, a good partnership coming together, why it's good for all parties involved, and what are the benefits that everyone can expect to see from it. Um, so I think you know those. If you kind of take those steps in order and take the time to prepare, I think you'll have a very successful transaction. Um, so you know, kind of, we'll wrap up here with kind of a, a few summary steps, uh, steps and and things to say and and. James and Ashley and Steve should jump in, but you know, deal fit is critical. If it doesn't work on paper, if it doesn't work in your discussions, it's probably never going to work. And you know, you want to know that earlier. And it's got to make be a deal that where you see one plus one equals four. Uh, Both sellers and buyers must be attractively positioned, and 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 that's important too because you know you're selling to one another. Um, You know, while there's technically a seller and a buyer. That match has to make sense for both of you. Um, and you should spend the time to position yourself, whether you're a buyer or whether you're a seller, to be an attractive partner up front. And that's work you can do up front around how do you tell your story? How do you position the company for future success? How do you position the company for to participate in, a, in, a, in an M&A activity? be clear about shared financial expectations and then communicate, communicate, communicate and do that all over again, because this is all about people coming together, uh, loan officers joining uh, forces and and making a bigger and better company, Um, but it has to make sense for everybody and it has to be communicated in a way that's clear to all parties. Uh, James or Steve or Ashley, um, anything to add to that?
4: Yeah, I would just um I would drill down on one aspect that really we've talked about for the last 50 minutes or so, but you know, there's a lot of reasons why this market is unlike previous markets. I, I think one of them is that it may not be clear to you if you're a buyer or a seller, or or more said differently, maybe it's better to think about you in both roles, right? And David talked about the merger phenomenon and 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 how that can actually, you know, marrying up two healthy companies that are that are realistic about how how tough this market is and how long it may last thinking differently about this process uh i think would be really critical uh to think about yourself as you know how do do you effectively merge and partner um which may be a very different outcome than just a traditional buyer and seller right and so um that opens up a lot of weapons to you uh on either side of that fence uh, I think figuring out what the right strategy is, who the right partner is, those things are really critical. That's in the details that uh, that really would make a deal work or not work. but it's just a different way of thinking about things in this market and I'd, I'd encourage everybody to kind of contemplate that if you're if you're currently just thinking about you on know one side or the other.
3: No, I, I think all those comments uh, are great. And, you know, look, at the end of the day, um, there is, you know, what is value to one person? Uh, these are all cycles. I mean, we've seen it uh, 07, 08 and, and, you know, other instances. Uh, the industry is going to be getting back on its feet. Now, are you going to be best positioned for that? Um, and to to really be out there, you know, uh, leading the show, or are you going to be playing catch up, you know, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, m whether it's, uh, you know, buying uh, the right time in the stock market waiting for, I mean, these are all cycles. And, you know, David, Steve, I see a comment or a question about the valuation. Um, you know, maybe you guys have some better comments with regard to uh, 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 you know, uh, I think they're asking about uh, you know uh, having some sort of certainty or fear about those valuations. Yeah, I, I think.
1: I'll, oh God, I was gonna say I'll verbalize it real quick just in case anybody's okay. listening and it doesn't have access to the chat. So the question James referring to is, can you discuss more on current valuation ranges? I'm assuming no BV premiums are being paid. And I'm wondering how buyers are thinking about future cash flows in light of all the uncertainty we're currently experiencing. Uh, Adding on to that, is valuation based on a wide range of future rates and overall housing landscape? Very interesting discussion. Thank you all.
2: Yeah, I mean, valuation is is clearly the the hardest topic. I I think a, a few things to keep in mind. Um, one is, you know, every company has an inherent value of the assets of the net equity of the company today, right? And in this environment, if you're losing or making money, that's going to determine what happens to your equity. Does your, is your equity growing or is your equity, you know, coming down because you're losing money on a current period basis? So I think grounding yourself in that equity value of the company and then looking forward and saying, what's the present value of those future cash flows? I actually don't think the future cash flows are that hard to predict. We're in we're in a very difficult market, but it will get back to normal. And just like no one really believed that twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one was normal, no one really believes twenty two or twenty three are normal either. And I think you can look at normalized markets. You can look at a lot of good history and data on you know how much mortgage companies make, kind of year in and year out, and project that out. And you know, I, I think. Um, you, ought not to, you ought not to skew your view based on, you know, today, you know, the, the dark days in front of us today, nor if it's a really good market like 2021, that's probably not going to last. And we've all seen that. So I think there's, there's you know, um, great opportunity out there. And, and I think, you know, just looking at uh, the market in terms of what's the purchase market going to do if we have a big, big refi boom, that's gravy for everybody. But the purchase market is pretty stable. And, you know, even if the real estate market slows down a little bit, it's still going to be there and we're still going to do two trillion dollars And it's still going to be a strong mortgage market. So, you know, despite all of the uh, headlines of the mortgage market disappearing, I can promise everybody it's still going to be there.
1: Perfect. Thank you, David. Uh, I know we're up here on the top of the hour, so I want to be mindful of everybody's time. Any final uh comments uh, commentary from the group you'd like to provide to the audience before we wrap here?
3: I just want to thank uh, thank all of you. it's uh, I, I love to be able to do these and uh, uh, I love to see those questions. David and Steve are are amazing uh, and and uh, talking and working with them and preparing for these webinars so, uh, and, and I respect what they've been doing and their insights on this. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, when clients come to us and say, "Hey, you know, I, I just want to take my chips off the table," I mean, our first uh, response is, "Have you thought about? Have you looked at? Explored your options?" I mean, you may have, you know, you may have some value to another company. It doesn't hurt to go ahead and do that. So. I would just say if there is anyone thinking along those lines, because some people, uh, you know, look at the dark clouds of today and, um, you know, they, they don't see the, the sun right behind them, uh, that uh, they should definitely be examining all their options. And uh, there's a lot of great deals from a buyer side to pick up right now uh, for those who want to go ahead and strengthen, expand uh, and grow. Um, it, it really just comes down to the, the human capital, the people uh, making that work. Uh, you know, the dollars, the, the contract terms, all those things are important, uh, but really it comes down to the people and the messaging and uh, whether you can, you know, work together and, and have a share of vision. Yeah. No, well said, James. Well said.
1: Yeah, great said, James. Um, and I want to remind everybody, you know, as it's been alluded to during this discussion, we're going to do a deeper dive as we approach the new year here um really breaking down the different components of the deal process because there is so much to cover, as you guys could tell from today's discussion, uh, really just scratching the surface in this first full hour here. So be on the lookout uh, for more educational content coming from uh, SilverStrike and Johnston Thomas to really help you navigate uh, potential deal flow in the coming year. So Steve, David, James, Ashley, I want to thank you each again for your time and your expert insights today and really enjoyed the discussion and and to our audience for taking the time to join us. All
3: right. Thank
1: Thank you. Thanks, guys. Take care, everyone.
0: For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.